Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Voices Behind the Game. I'm Jeremy Roberts, and it's great to have you here. Today, we get a chance to introduce you to Andy Burcham. He is the play by play voice for the Auburn Tigers football team. And to say that Andy is an incredible human is an understatement. But that's what this episode is about, is giving you a chance to meet an incredible guy that has followed his dream and passion since he was six years old. And his story is one that you will not want to miss. It's If you like stories that involve tragedy, triumph, following one's goals, getting back up when you get knocked down, then you will want to tune in to this podcast of Voices Behind the Game with myself, my dad, Dan, and our guest, Andy Burcham from Auburn Tigers football. So enjoy it and leave us a comment, subscribe to our channel, and most definitely thank you for being a part of Voices Behind the Game. Well, uh, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah. My pleasure to do it. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, we're just going to jump into it if that's, if that's okay, okay with you. Yeah. Sure. And, uh, pro teams growing up, what were your, who were your pro teams growing up? Any team that was in St. Louis, any team that was in St. Louis. <laughs> yeah. I grew up 50 miles outside of St. Louis. So obviously the baseball Cardinals, that that's number one. Sure. The football Cardinals, which were not the most successful team at that point, but we watched them every Sunday that they were on TV. And remember back in the seventies, every game wasn't on. So right. we cherish that. And then the St. Louis blues. Uh, and I think part of the reason was the guys that were the announcers for the baseball Cardinals. It was Harry Carey and Jack Buck. Right. And the football Cardinals had an, had a number of really good announcers and then the Blues had Dan Kelly. Okay. And these are Hall of Fame caliber broadcasters, some of the all-time greats that I had a chance to listen to growing up. But even in the spirits of St. Louis, the old ABA team, Oh, yeah, I remember right? that. That was... And and their first broadcaster, of course, was Bob Costas. Bob Costas, you bet. So those are the teams I listened to on Camo X out of St. Louis and... That's they're one of the reasons that I got into this business, especially Harry Carey and Jack Buck and and the and the Cardinals. That's uh, so. My dad was also uh, the the announcer for the Utah Stars in the ABA, and uh, you know I was pretty young back then. But uh, and I also I played hockey growing up. The Blues were one of my favorite teams. The Blues and the Oilers were my two favorite teams. But it. it and this is actually something we want to talk about because of the tradition that the fans have in Auburn of turning off the TV, turning up the radio. Um, I did that as a kid here in Utah with, uh, with hot rod Hunley with the jazz. And it, and I think that it's that type of, um, that type of, uh, connection with the play by play person is, is almost a lost art in a way because of, how well the picture was painted back then, because that's what you had to do. And that's, I think what helped a lot of us that grew up in these older eras fall in love with sports because you were picturing it in your mind instead of just only seeing it on TV. And it, and I think that draws you a lot closer to the game and you develop these attachments that last for a lifetime. One thing that struck me and listen, the Cardinals were on TV very often in the sixties the and the seventies when I was growing up. But even when we went to ball games, a lot of people brought their radios along and they were listening to Harry Carey and Jack Buck while watching the game in the stadium. That's how important it was. They wanted to hear that even though they were there witnessing it themselves. Um, and I, that always struck me just how important those guys were to Cardinal fans. I mean, Jack Buck is a St. Louis Icon, for goodness sakes, there's a an announcer statue of him outside the stadium. Oh, <laughs> well, that's with cool. Lou Brock and Sam Usual and Bob <laughs> Gibson, all the Cardinal greats. Jack Buck's right there. Um, so he was so beloved in St. Louis, and he was a great radio man. It wasn't just the Cardinals. I mean, he did Monday Night Football forever on Westwood One with Hank Stram. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was you fun. Know, I enjoyed that. Yes. That was what a great duel that was. Absolutely. Yes, I agree. Uh, you know, and the the Kirk Gibson home run against Oakland in game one of the World Series, there's a great Vin Scully call, and there's a great Jack Buck call. They were both doing the game for TV and one for TV and one for radio. That's right. And they're both iconic calls. So he's he is the one guy from when I was a little kid that I listened to. And I wouldn't say I emulate Jack Buck, but there's a lot of influence in what I do now. Um, and it will always be that way. And then you get to carry that with you because that's um, a valuable, valuable asset to have that type of influence. I totally get that. And I have to ask you, do you remember John David Crow playing for the Car- football Cardinals? I remember the name. I, I don't remember him very well, well. He was number 44, and he um, was a halfback, and I think he came from an SEC school. I can't remember what it was, but uh, I remember as a kid watching him play and how tough he was. It was really quite amazing. He was uh, a very good football player. My era with the Cardinals, the football Cardinals, they were called the Big Red because you had the baseball Cardinals and the football Cardinals, was Jim Hart was the quarterback, had Mel Gray at wide receiver. Terry Metcalf and Jim Otis were the, the backs. He had a great offensive line that included Conrad Dobler and uh, Dan Deerdorf, who's in the Hall of Fame. Right, I remember those names. Jackie Smith was a tight end on that team. Larry Wilson was a safety. Played for you, uh, University so, of Utah. Yeah, so th- those are the guys that I grew up with, that, that, that I watched – every time I could watch them on a Sunday. I mean, it was, you went to church, you had lunch and you watched the football. Cardinals. <laughs> perfect Sunday. And then, perfect and then Sunday. maybe you went to church again Sunday night too. So that, that was a full day. <laughs> Just to make up for the football time. Right. I guess you exactly. take you twice. I get that. So d- did you have aspirations of being a play by play guy? Yeah. So from, from his, and here's the story guys. 67, the Cardinals win the World Series, beat the Red Sox in seven games. And at that time, they would put out an old LP, a record of highlights. And my dad bought that or ordered it, whatever. It came in the mail or dad brought it home one day. And I basically took that LP over and put it on our little turntable. And I listened to it front and back over and over and over again, partly because it was my team and they had just won the World Series, but partly it was the work of Harry Carey and Jack Buck and just how good they were, how exciting they could be. And I'm telling you guys, at that age, six, I knew that's what I wanted to do with my life. And it's all I ever studied for. I wouldn't say this is real smart. I didn't have a minor in college. It was it was radio play by play or bust. That's, that's it. That's awesome. That's all I've ever done. That's amazing. It, it's, yeah, that's 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 called a commitment right there. Well, for sure, but it's also so rare. I mean, to to have that kind of determination and that focus as far as what you want to do professionally. I mean, it 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 makes all of the jobs that you have to take to get there that much more right. fun. You know, because and, you know it's so hard to get to where you are and to get to any level of professional play-by-play. It's just the, the dues that you have to pay are intense and, and with a very, very little pay along, uh, along that time. And so uh, that's really incredible to hear that there was that much determination right from when you were six years old. I mean, that's, it's, it's inspiring. <laughs> so did you, are there things that, you can remember, are there certain signatures, not necessarily phrases, but maybe inflections or way that that um, Harry Carey and Joe Buck got information across that you've tried to emulate or do you take with you and what you do today? Or how do you tie those two together? I love the Harry Carey home run calls. And he did that until his to the very end. Right, right. I watched if, him um, you know, on WGN when I would come sure. home after school. And, uh, you know, it Stone. might be. It could be, it is. Well, even earlier than that, when when he was younger, 
it might be out of here. It could be. <laughs> it is. And that even had a better flow to it. <laughs> sure. Um, and I'm not sure that Jack Buck had a, a signature call other than after a ball game, after a Cardinal win, and that's a winner. That that was basically his call at the end. It was just how how well he described a game and how much he used humor in a broadcast. I've I've heard a story and I've and I've read that he was pretty proficient in Spanish. Hmm. And when they used to do the the pregame coaches show or managers show, he would do it from the booth at one point, and the guest would have a headset and a microphone down in the dugout. And one dime, he noticed, he looked down in the dugout during the game, and one of the Hispanic players for the Cardinals picked up the headset and was listening. And without pause, Jack Buck just started doing the game in fluent Spanish. (laughs) That's great. And to watch the reaction (laughs) of that player who may have been from the Dominican Republic or something like that, all of a sudden to listen to this man do it in Spanish, he said, was just priceless. Oh, absolutely. Oh, that, <laughs> that's, that's a great story. That's a great story. How fun that would be to be able, I mean, to be able to do that and see, I mean, because it's, it mean to people where the English is their second language when they're here in, in the United States to be able to have something like that. It's so important to them and it really, you absolutely. know, it's vital. And uh, what a great skill to have. Most of the teams in the NBA, when they come in, have a uh, Spanish channel, and they'll have uh, um, a play-by-play in, in total Spanish, and it's uh, very cool that that's being acknowledged, in my opinion. I think that's great. And there are some college campuses that we're starting to see that a little bit more now. I know the Arkansas baseball games at times are done in English on their regular network and in Spanish. And if I'm not mistaken, Texas A&M has a Spanish speaking mm. uh, games right now. So that makes we're sense. starting to see that a little bit more on, on the college side as well. So you went to Indiana state. Is that right? I did. My dad grew up in uh, about 40 minutes South of Terre Haute. My mom grew up about 45 minutes from Terre Haute. Dad went to college at Indiana state. And that's probably the reason that I went, we could get in-state tuition because dad was, um, an alum. It didn't hurt that Larry Bird had been there four years before me. <laughs> I was going to ask, uh, did you cross paths with him at all? Cause you were a freshman back then, I guess. I was a freshman when he was a rookie in the NBA. Ah, we were four years apart. Gotcha. Okay. He I- is still in the top two of my all time favorite athletes of all time, regardless of sports. I need Larry Bird. Yep. And I couldn't agree with you more. He's one of the best I've ever seen. And I had a chance to do the final four here in Ute, in Salt Lake with uh, Magic and Larry Bird. Mm. And that I'm immortalized in film, which is a, a very cool because I had nothing but um, a hair. I looked like a hairball when they the TV crossed <laughs> paths with me. I had a full beard and I had I was getting my hair curled. I just looked like nothing. But you could see my eyes and my glasses. And that was the extent <laughs> of it. But it was really amazing because that would uh, the, to watch that game and to have that. Uh, I got a chance to uh, uh ESPN did a little thing on me last year when it was the 40th anniversary of the game, and it was very, very cool. But I was, I was hoping you had a chance to at least cross paths with him, basically. Here, here are my two stories with Larry Bird. Uh, one time, I just had a chance. We went to Indianapolis while I was at Indiana State, and we covered the Pacers and the Celtics and just had a brief interview with him after the game. But my junior year at Indiana State, I was I went to a junior college, then went my last two years to Indiana State. And my first year at State, I was umpiring an intramural softball game along one of the north-south main drags in Terre Haute. And behind us was the track, and across the street was the Boys and Girls Club. And at one point of the softball game that I'm umpiring, we see the Indiana State basketball team come out of the boys club and run across four lanes of traffic to run laps on the track behind us. And leading that crew is Larry Bird. And the softball game stopped. (laughs) Nice. I believe it. (laughs) We just stood and watched Larry Bird run laps around the track until he was done 
and then the softball game resumed. <laughs> That's very cool. You called a timeout, I guess, huh? Did right. you want to see? <laughs> Absolutely. I'll I was it. right there with them. Good. Good for you. That's very cool. That's a great story. Great story. And did you ever actually get to meet Larry? Just the one time when we did the interview. I've never had a chance to shake his hand or tell him how much I appreciate him or anything like that, but I'd love to one day. He's one of those guys that I'd love to sit down and interview now. Oh yeah. Uh, as a fan and as a journalist, uh, I don't know if I'll ever get that opportunity. There are several people out there that I'd love to sit down and talk with. And I'm not sure he'd be an easy interview, quite frankly. He's not, I guarantee yeah. you. <laughs> I've, I've seen some interviews that he's done but I'd, I'd love to be able to sit down and, and talk with him just about a lot of things uh, and just tell him how much of a fan I was of him. And I'm not that much of a fan of players after being in this business as long as I have, but right. he's one of those guys. I, I, I totally get that. I totally, I had a chance to meet, and you know, just to introduce myself to him on the way out. Uh, he came by with the Pacers one time and uh, he, you know, he just hid, he had to hide because uh, the, the crowd would have been all over him, but he was waiting on the exit door and I had a chance just to walk up and introduce myself to him. And I did the game. He said, that's cool. And then he walked away and that was the end of it. <laughs> Thank you, Larry. Thank you for letting me shake your hand. That's at least I got a chance to do that. <laughs> That's why they call him Larry Legend, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I just, it, it, the, you know, in, in the Twitter sphere and in the, in the modern area of social media, you, you get all the debates about who's the best. And it's very modern focus, you know, and maybe they go back to Jordan, but they people don't really understand how good Larry Bird was. I mean, he... His skill, I'm like, he just didn't, he did everything. He did literally everything at an extremely high level in the NBA. Well, it's so rare. There's the documentary that's been done on Magic and Larry. It's fantastic. It's so good. It really is. It's so well done. And the, the narrator, and I can't recall who the narrator is, but does such a fabulous job with that. But Bryant Gumble makes a statement near the end of that. And I'm not the biggest Bryant Gumble fan in the world. That makes two of us. <laughs> I will say kind this. What he said about, listen, Larry Bird and, and Magic Johnson saved the NBA. You know, it wasn't it wasn't Michael Jordan that coming along. It was Bird and Magic that saved the NBA. Because, listen, when those guys came on, they weren't even doing the NBA Finals live on TV. They were playing them, you know, tape delay. Which is now, insane. Think about that yeah. now. Yeah. Think insane. about that now. Uh, the NBA started when that with that game. And I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. And I hate, hate to agree with Bryant Gumble, but that's that, that's the truth. The league yeah. basketball started. I mean, the NBA came alive with that game. From a popularity standpoint, no question. For sure. For sure. And it's almost that I think that the NBA, as far as talent goes in, in watchability, it really, it, it's like magic and Larry brought all this, all the players in the entertainment up to their level. And it wasn't a conscious thing. It's just how good they were and how charismatic they were in their own games and how competitive they were against each other. That's what I loved about the documentary, how they would both talk about how they looked at each other's box scores and they, it, they almost wanted to beat the other one more than they wanted to win the game at one point, you know, and, and that type of passion and, and competitiveness, it really sparked the era. And I think taught people that were, uh, you know, that had that kind of talent, what it takes to, to go to the next level. And the NBA saw that. And that's where really David Stern really, I think he came in. It was a perfect, it was a perfect time. I think you also have to put David Stern into that because he recognized that, to grow the league, you you need to augment it with that with the talent of the players, not just the the sum of the whole. And it allowed people to recognize what that individual talent was and how amazing it was between uh, a, a bird and magic. The my favorite NBA team was Larry Bird. Let me put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I get it. I totally get that. Totally get that. Makes complete sense. So, how how did you get from Indiana State to Auburn? Because you've been at Auburn for thirty one years, right? Right. My first year out of Indiana State, I was in Bloomington, Illinois, and doing games for Illinois State, and we weren't even the official station. 
we were the second station doing the games, which you would never see in this day and age. Right. But the basketball coach at the time, Bob Donawald, who had been on an assistant with Bob Knight on the 1976 undefeated team of Indiana, he got sideways with the official station with his pre and post game show and how much they were paying him. And he came over to our station. So it gave us some legitimate, at least people listened before the game and after the game. <laughs> That's great. Just take the ratings at those specific times. And right. You're good, right. I did that for one year, moved to Carbondale, Illinois. And I lived there for four years. And Dan, like you, the man that is doing the play-by-play at SIU has been doing it for 40-plus years, too, Mike Reese. Ah, and I worked for him. And he's as good a sports radio man as anyone I've ever worked with. He taught me how important writing was, how important a work ethic is, even when folks aren't watching you. A technically brilliant play-by-play man in any sport that he does. Um, and I got a chance to work underneath him for four years. And after four years, I got married and my first wife was getting her PhD in counseling psychology. And that's what brought us to Auburn. So she could pursue her degree. And fortunately for me, the women's basketball play-by-play job had opened up that summer here. And I had done some women's basketball at SIU. And that's where it all started for me, 1988. That's cool. Did you develop um, immediate skills with basketball when you were at uh, Southern Illinois? Did they Were you doing basketball there or just football? I was doing high school basketball and football at Southern Illinois. And also I was doing the color commentary for SIU football as well. So I was able to do that at that point. But I'd been doing basketball guys since my sophomore year in, in, in junior college. Oh, that's cool. Little high, little high school games had opened up. Again, it was I was at the right place at the right time, and they had sold this package for these small high schools in southern Illinois that typically didn't get radio coverage. And the guy that was supposed to do it left the station. So they had this opening. <laughs> And they asked me if I'd like to do it. And so I started going to my high school, my high school's practices just to try and figure out what I was going to say. And that's how it all began for me. Wow, so that's cool. Base, baseball had always been what I thought I would do with my career. But really, my career, my radio play-by-play career began with basketball. And is I'm still doing it to this day. Wow, that's great. That's so good. So are you, do, you, uh, do you do Auburn men's and women's basketball? I did women's basketball for 31 years when I was named the, the voice for Auburn after, after Rod passed away in May. And then in, in August, I was named – I took over his role gotcha. of doing football, men's basketball, and baseball. So that, that's what I did until everything shut down about a month ago. Right. <laughs> so, were you in Salt Lake last year when uh, when they when no when when Auburn was making that run to the Final Four? That was Rod's last year, as it turned out. Oh, so, cool. Rod and I... Rod and Sonny Smith, who's a Hall of Fame coach, was Auburn's coach. He was Charles Barkley's coach at Auburn, and uh, so Rod and and Sonny and our producer Brad Law, they were all there in Salt Lake City. I was doing the women's basketball games, and we were at Stanford in the first round. And then after Auburn was knocked out of that tournament, then I went to baseball where I had been doing games with Rod for 25 years. So, um, no, we were, I watched all that, that run for Auburn to the, uh, to the final four from afar. (laughs) But, uh, it was, it was, it was so fun to watch that team develop into a really good basketball team. And I was, I was so happy for Rod, especially for Rod, uh, to get to experience, a final four. My first two years with Auburn women's basketball were the second and the third straight years that Auburn played for a national championship. So I had, I had been there. I'd, I'd experienced a finals four, albeit a women's final four, but I had experienced that, that excitement that goes with it. And I was thrilled that Rod got an opportunity to do that last season. 
I did all the games, and I've done that every time that there's been a regional tournament here. And I have to say to you totally sincerely that I picked up on Auburn the minute they got on the court. They were a great team, and I pulled for them as much as I possibly could without the NCAA getting down on me. But the um, <laughs> the end result of how much I liked the way they played and how well they played was just really fun. It made all those games palatable. I mean, <laughs> when you start doing four or five games a day and you've got 30 minutes to 45 minutes in between, there isn't enough bedroom space available for you to come back, as you well know. So... I just was just really happy with Auburn, how well they played. It just was just fun to watch. Well, I admire the fact that you're able to do that and, and to do all those games and, and to do them as well as you, as, as you do them. Please know how much I admire your, your talent. But you recall that that Auburn team a year ago was fortunate to win its first game. Right. That's right. That's I mean, true. If, 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 <laughs> if not for a missed free throw, they lose to New Mexico State. And that run to the Final Four never takes place and, yep. and truth be told i did take new mexico state and that was a 512 <laughs> upset i mean and, and i i did well, i mean in, in but it was it, it lived up to the hype i mean it, it, yeah. it's because uh, new mexico state had a great team it's not like you know that it that 512 matchup is so in, right. uh, amazing you know i mean it's not really a 512 matchup it's uh, it's it's almost 50 50 with every with every game and so you know that it almost it probably set Auburn up for the run to be able to have that kind of competition in the first round and to be able to make well, it through. You go from playing New Mexico state and barely winning it. And then you're knocking off the likes of Kansas, North Carolina and Kentucky. Right. Uh, to make it to the final four. It, it was, it's an amazing story uh, to do that. And to beat Kentucky in overtime, uh, a team that had beaten them twice in the regular season, and you're already down a man because Chumo Kiki had had blown out his knee in the win in the Sweet 16. And to get to the Final Four, you've got to beat a Kentucky team that beat you twice and the last time embarrassed you in Lexington. And to do that and come back and win that game and win it, win in overtime was was really remarkable. And um, you know Auburn has always been a football school, but it's it's a basketball school too. That's cool. And they, you know, they, they sold out tickets this year. Every game was a sellout. The students are literally right behind us when I'm calling ball games, uh, within an arm's distance of the, the, the great student section that we have. And it's, it is a wonderful atmosphere for basketball now. And it hasn't been that way since until Bruce Pearl came to Auburn as, as its head coach. I don't mean to be uh, totally on your side with everything here, but beating Kansas made me smile because uh, <laughs> Kansas coach is not one of my favorite human beings in the world. And uh, it was kind of fun to watch Auburn eat them alive as he did. We don't have any plans did. to have him on the podcast <laughs> yeah, either. Not. So uh, 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 Bill Self, right? Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's it made not, that's Auburn a... fans smile too. No, I, sure. can, I can see. <laughs> So that's something that we wanted to talk about was the, because, you know, you, the University of Utah has had a lot of success in football throughout the years. They beat Alabama in 2008. Um, you know, they've, they've certainly built up the program to be uh, nationally respected. I wouldn't call them a national powerhouse, but they've become nationally respected. But I think, you know, I, I've grown up in Utah my whole life. I've been to 42 states. I know what it's like outside of here, but I, I've never experienced the difference between going to a, a Pac-12 game with 50,000 fans to a SEC game with 100,000 fans. And 100,000 fans, whether it's whether you're one and nine or nine and one. And so that's something we wanted to hear you talk about, what uh, what it's, try to put it into words, what that's like, and, and maybe if you've ever had a chance to see, you know, when, when you go to other games outside of the SEC that are more like what we experience here in Utah, try to put that into uh, paint a picture of how, what that difference is like. The first Auburn game that I ever covered was the Saturday after I moved, I moved into Auburn at, on the Saturday at halftime of Auburn, Kansas in 1988. And that game was over about four minutes into the game. <laughs> Um, I was listening to the late Jim Fife and Charlie Trotman call that game as I was driving in, in the, the U-Haul that I had. And 
interviewed for a job on Monday and was on the job on Tuesday and covered my first Auburn game that next Saturday. And it turned out to be Auburn, Tennessee, which at the time was one of Auburn's biggest rivals. And it was one of Auburn's, it was, it was a game that was on Auburn's schedule every year. That's no longer the case. But I had never been into a venue as large as Jordan-Hare Stadium. And, and Jordan-Hare Stadium, which is 87,000-plus, is not in the top five, probably top four or five of stadiums in the SEC as far as, as far as capacity right now because Tennessee, Alabama, Texas A&M, and uh, LSU all have capacities of around 100,000. And so I'd never – never been anything bigger than Bush stadium in St. Louis, which at the time was around 50,000 and, and a football Saturday in Auburn, a football Saturday in the Southeastern conference is an enormous event. Here's, here's the best story that I can tell you about that. I was with Auburn women's basketball several years ago. This might've been 2007, 2008. And Auburn was playing at a tournament in at Arizona state. And it was one of those where Auburn would play on a Thursday, excuse me, would play on a Friday and then on a Sunday because on the Saturday they were having the Arizona State Arizona battle. Okay. Okay. And so we we went to practice on that Saturday, the off day, in in the tournament. And the bus driver, we went in the morning, and Arizona State and Arizona were playing that night in Tempe, um, there on campus, right next door to the to the, the basketball arena. And the bus driver said, yeah, it's a big game here. A big game between Arizona state and Arizona fans will start rolling in here this morning for the game. And everybody on the bus just looked around <laughs> and said, listen, if this were Auburn, Alabama, folks have been in town since Thursday. <laughs> for the game. <laughs> and if, if they could, they'd have been in town since the Sunday prior, right. but they're not allowed on campus until Thursday folks here in Auburn, because it's now Thanksgiving weekend where Auburn and Alabama play, they have Thanksgiving meal in Hayfields on the campus. So wow. they can get their RV there in time <laughs> and set up a spot. So they're there for the Saturday game. Wow. What, what is the population of the city without a football game? Do you know approximately what the population is? It's probably about 50,000 with, with, with the students, with which the is students. about 20. Yeah. With about 25,000, it's a growing area. This is, this is one of the fastest growing areas in the state of Alabama. It has a great public school system. It's a great place for folks to retire. There are a lot of golf courses in the area. It's a warm climate. You know, even in the winter, we don't get, if, if we get, two inches of snow, there's no milk or, or water on the shelves in the grocery stores. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of so you're used so to this. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's just, it's just a really nice climate, but, and it's a growing area. But when, when it's a football Saturday, there's probably a hundred thousand people on campus and not all of them are in the stadium. And so, so there's a lot of folks that come and tailgate and just stand at their tailgate to watch the game because they don't have a ticket, but they want to be, on campus, they want to be part of that environment. The electricity it's, it's is that it's yeah, got to yeah, be it's, that it's, much. It's a remarkable thing to be a part of, and and for someone that did not grow up in this state, that did not grow up with SEC football, um, I, I certainly never take for granted just how big a football Saturday is, and it's like this all over the Southeastern Conference. Certainly, it's not just like this at Auburn, but Auburn's a special place on a football Saturday. So, in my opinion, that football in the SEC is the closest thing that we have in America to what goes on with uh, football or soccer in right. England or in in Europe. That type of uh, total fanaticism that it, you know, where you have a population of a town tripling potentially just because of a game, a regular game, not you know the uh, not a championship game, not anything special other than it's football Saturday and it's well, here's an, here's an example of Auburn. Okay. When, when Auburn played for the national championship after the 2010 season, Cam Newton's one year at Auburn, uh, that game was played in Glendale, Arizona at what was then the university of Phoenix stadium. I think that's, that name has changed, right? Uh, this was Auburn's first chance to win a national championship in football since 1957. 
So this was an enormous Auburn's undefeated, Oregon's undefeated. And tons of Auburn people make their way to that area for the game. And we had a, it wasn't a pep rally, but we did our, our regular talk show, our weekly talk show from a bar there in, in, uh, it was actually in Tempe, I guess, or, and they said, and so when, when Auburn set that up, the, the alumni folks said, Hey, listen, there, there's going to be a lot of people here. You, you need to stock up on your, you know, on all your, your delicious libations. <laughs> and the, the, the people with the, the, the bar said, listen, we've hosted, we've hosted Super Bowl parties for the Steelers here. We're not going to have a problem. Well, <laughs> pride comes before a fall, right? I mean, <laughs> exactly. Yes. We, the, the, there was the bar and then there was this open area and that's where we set up our radio show. When we, we doubled it, we, we did two hours that night. And there were so many Auburn people there that they had gone across the street and overtaken the Oregon bar too, <laughs> to be a part of it. And, and the, the Auburn where we were doing it, they ran out of liquor. They ran out of beer. They ran out of liquor. And you couldn't hardly, we couldn't hardly get to the stage to do the show. There were so many people there and we're fighting our way literally to get to the stage and we get up on the stage and it's the one time in my life that, that and Rod and I talked about this. It's the one, it's the only time in our lives that we must know what a rock star feels like <laughs> That's cool. nice. to be on a stage. For yeah. that. It, was, it was magnificent. Oh, good for you. That's, that's the perfect so picture cool. of the difference between the SEC and the Pac-12, because I'm sure that bar had to go over to Oregon's party and take all of their liquor that they weren't drinking and bring it back <laughs> over to the Auburn party. That's right. That's so cool. When you start a game, can you hear the uh, clicks of the radios as they all change over to listening to you? Can you? Is that audible? <laughs> no, no that, that's not audible. What, and, I, and I don't know if they've got this in, in the NBA or not, guys. Uh, we have a thing called live sports radio now. And we basically set up a low-power radio station for all of our football games, home and away. And folks can listen to our broadcast in real time. There's no delay at, at any home or away game. And we make sure that everyone knows what number, what frequency to put it on. And that's that's typically how people listen to our games. So it's like, it's like a drive-in movie theater, basically. Exactly. Okay, oh, yes. that's cool. And you can buy those radios, and, and we do the same thing for home basketball games, for home baseball and softball games, too, on campus. And uh, it's a great thing, and we get a lot of folks that, that, that listen to all of those, and you can see them with the, the, the live sports radio around their neck or in their ear or something like that. But listen, this thing, this phenomenon at Auburn started years ago, years ago, with, with Jim Fife back in the 80s. And it's, you know, it's, it's like, it's like I said earlier, you know, you go to the game, you listen to your announcer. When I was growing up, it was Jack Buck or Harry Carey at Auburn. It's been, you know, Gary Sanders or Paul Ellen or Jim Fife or Rod Bramblett. And I'm fortunate enough now that they, they still turn on that radio and they, they listen to our radio calls. As that's, well. that's so cool. That's so very, very cool. The, uh, with the NBA, basically, it's just radio and TV. It's either network and uh, they control every move that happens or it's just the local broadcast either on uh, on TV that's uh, picked up. I can't even remember who, who Fox, I guess. Is it Fox Sports? Well, it I just guess. depends. It's all regionalized. Yeah, it's all, yeah. Yeah, that's it. So there's right. nothing There's nothing necessary with the 22,000 people there as there is with 100,000. It's quite a substantial <laughs> difference, I dare say. So you know, people, Andy, always ask me, am I going to take over for my dad? And 10 years ago, I, I might have said, yeah, well, you know, I'd like to. Um, but now, you know, he's, he's been doing it so long that it's, it's like, I, I, that's not really an aspiration of mine anymore. It's, you know, it's his legacy. And, and when that time comes that he doesn't want to do it anymore or, or can't I always say that they'll have to pry the microphone out of his hand. If, you know, if he doesn't know who he is or whatever happens at that point, then it's, it's good. That's the set legacy. And, and in your situation, you know, you, you are, you know, like I've got to read a lot about it. You got this incredible job that you've been wanting for so long, but under, you know, a very, a very sad circumstance, but you are taking over for someone that 
is not only a great friend, but that you admire. And I wanted to hear you talk about that a little bit of what that's been like and, and how you've been able to settle into the role and what you've taken from your very good friend to put into this role going forward. Jim Fife passed away in 2003 and he was a legend, still is a legend at Auburn. He's the one that called, he called Bo Jackson and, and Charles Barkley and all of those great Auburn athletes through the eighties and the nineties. Um, so when, when Jim passed away, Rod and I were finalists for the job and, and Rod got the job. It, I, I really wanted to dislike Rod at that point but I couldn't <laughs> because, he, because he was my friend. Right. And, and I was told about the, the, the job told that Rod would get the job and Rod was in his office in that building. So I just, I walked out of the general manager's office and walked into his office and I said, congratulations, I've got your back. And then I was doing a, an afternoon sports talk show and Rod was our first guest that day with us. And I was, I was in personally, I was incredibly disappointed. Sure. Uh, I was, I was dating my wife. We had just started dating at the time. And, and I remember writing her a note saying, I'm about to go find out that the job that I've been working for, for my whole career is going to somebody else. Uh, so, and to say that I wasn't disappointed, I'd be lying. I was, Sure. but I was also happy for Rod and I knew Rod would do a great job with, with that position. And I was, I was still doing women's basketball at Auburn and I was doing an afternoon talk show and I was doing baseball with Rod and, and doing the locker room stuff with, with Auburn. And, and at some point it just dawned on me, how many people would love to have the job that I have right now? Sure. A lot, a lot of people would, would kill to get that job, you know? And so listen, I don't, I mean, I've been in this business now full time since 1983, but since I was a little kid, all I've ever wanted to do was games, radio play by play. And I've had a chance to, to do some TV work and I've enjoyed it. It's been, it's been a lot of fun to kind of spread my wings a little bit and learn how to do that type of thing. But if it, the radio part of it has always been my love and I've done a lot of different things in radio just so I could do those women's basketball games or football broadcasts or baseball games with Rod. I've, I've done just about everything you can do in, in the radio business. Um, so I, I was able to get over that, that disappointment. And, and it, at that point I really realized cause Rod was four years younger than I was that I'd probably never get an opportunity for this again. He mm. wasn't gonna, he wasn't going to retire before I was sure. um, at this point. And so I thought I'm just going to make the best of what, what I'm doing. I'll do the very best at what I'm doing at this point. And, um, and so until this past May, that was, I basically, that this is what I thought I'd be doing. And then Rod passed away in May along with his wife on the, on the 25th and, and everything changed for us. We had been asked, uh, by, by Rod and Paula, um, back in, in, 2017, no, 2018, the fall of 2018, that if anything should happen to both of them, would we consider being the guardian or the children? Well, listen, right. we're good friends with them. We, we did this a lot. We went to dinner a lot with them and we, we told them, yes, we would do it, but we never dreamed that it would happen, you know? Sure. And so, so May 25th rolls around and, and, the the accident occurs and and all of a sudden our our lives change in multiple ways. Right. And Janet and I had been married for almost 15 years at that point. We didn't get married until our 40s. This was her first marriage. This was my last marriage. <laughs> uh, and and I neither of us had had children, so we hadn't been parents other than just being an aunt and an uncle to our nieces and nephews. And so. That life, that part of our life changes dramatically right. uh, through the summer months. And Ron and Paula's son, Joshua, is, is now in our home, and we're learning about what it's like to be parent-like. I wouldn't say we're, his, we're not his parents, but act in that role for a 16-year-old 
Right. Um, and we ask all of our friends that have had 16 year olds or, or have 16 year olds, are we doing this right? Is this normal? And most of the time the answer comes back. Yes. Which sure. we're grateful for. And then in August, um, and I had, I had indicated to the general manager of our network that if that I'd, I'd like to be considered for the position. And then it took until August for that, that call to come, so to speak. And so, I mean, it, the, the last 11 months, almost now 12 months have been life changing for, for Jan and I. Sure. And, and we'll be for a long, long time. For sure. And, it, you know, in, in reading uh, your story, Andy, I mean, it, it's incredible. Um, I've, I've had a chance, my wife and I had a chance to foster uh, her cousin's kids as uh, their, um, her cousin was struggling with uh, substance abuse. And we actually took her kids on uh, into our home and for about a year. And uh, so I have a little bit of an understanding of what that's like uh, besides, you know, my three kids are 25, 22 and almost 18. And uh, to be thrust into that role, you know, with the, um, I think the daughter's at college, Shelby, right? And uh, Josh is at home and, and you know, that the thing with a 16 year old, you, you could still, there is no right. It's different all the time. And uh, <laughs> that, that's the thing. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I read the little thing about, you know, his allowance and uh, I love that you were, you know, getting counsel from other people on, on, is this right? Or, you know, cause that's all you can do. And that's, you know, you're put into all these new roles and it's just, uh, uh, it, it is life changing in so many different ways. And it's, uh, it is refreshing to me to get such a fresh and, and uh, just a, a great and a grounded perspective from someone like you on, on these things, because you have to be that way in what you're dealing with, not only to the hundreds of thousands of people that listen to you, but most importantly, the, the one or two people that are in your home. And, you know, that, that grounding is really imperative. And so, you know, it's, uh, it's just been a pleasure to get to know you and to, um, you know, I also read that Shelby shared a birthday, um, with her dad on November 5th. I share a birthday yes. with, with my dad, my birthday and my dad's birthday is November 1st. And How about that? yeah, and it, you know, it's just <laughs> to be able to, uh, you know, see some little things. I see that you hate mayonnaise on hamburgers. <laughs> I despise mayonnaise, you know, <laughs> except in fry sauce, which we have here in Utah. So um, it, it was, it was almost a deal breaker because Jan and I went on our first date and I asked her about that. And she said she put mayonnaise on her hamburger and I had to think about it for a second <laughs> but 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 i i felt that, that this might be worth it this 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 relationship might be worth it and i i made the right call but she gladly puts mayonnaise on her hamburger right in front of me <laughs> every time we have burgers and you actually watch her do that too is that i do is, oh, and I, well, I, I do i do it i do it with a smile on my face too my wife and i have been together for 25 years married for 25 years together for 30 and uh, you you have chick-fil-a out there she loves yes, to oh, put, yes. she loves to take the Chick-fil-A mayo right in front of me uh, and slather her french fries with it and it's just I can't. Is she from is she from England then or No. <laughs> <laughs> I always tell her I think she's from France or from Europe. You know, my yeah. daughter's been to the Netherlands quite a few times. They do that stuff over uh, there. I just oh, give me Chick-fil-A sauce all day long. I need to <laughs> add something to Andy to your your very touching story and to me I would assure you that Rod and and his wife are watching over you and guiding you through all this without a moment's hesitation. They're with you and they love you and they're they're caring for you each and every day. Well, that's a comforting thought, um, and and I, I believe you're right. They they asked us, and one of the things that, that that Paula told Jan because they would you know while Rod and I were gallivanting around the Southeastern Conference doing these baseball series, a lot of times they would get together for dinner just to commiserate. And, and one of the things after they had asked us this and Jan and, and Paula were talking about it. And Paula said, one of the reasons is we know that you'll let Joshua grow up to be Joshua. Right. And, and so that's, that's the, the that really, that's the, listen, we keep him safe. We keep him fed and we're trying to, to look out for his best interest. Uh, and we're learning at times, you know, you make mistakes and you come back and you keep trying. 
and so I don't know. That's that, that that's my that's my life lesson through all of this. You are there. You are there. Yeah, um, exactly. You're a loving human being, and I, I know we got to wrap up real quickly, but I wanted to congratulate you on holding LSU to 20, 23 points <laughs> with that quarterback. Well, that, you guys did, that, must that, have did a heck of a job there. That's as, that's as well as anybody played them all season. That's kind of my point. Toughest, that's kind of my yeah, point. Their toughest game was that was that Auburn game in, in Baton Rouge, and um, so you can you can you can take that from that. It, it's still a loss for the Tigers of Auburn. Uh, and that's a, that was a great LSU team that I mean, listen, they were clearly the best team in the, in the country a year ago, but, but Auburn, Auburn's game there was the toughest game they had, especially from a defensive side, because no one else was able to, to put the clamps on that, that offense like Auburn did that day. Absolutely. And it, there are really no moral victories in sports, but it's about as close as you can get. Yep. I agree. <laughs> well, uh, before we let you go, this, uh, my last little anecdote here in uh, when I was uh, I was talking to my wife about our podcast and having you on, and I uh, was telling her about you know what happened, and and I said, well, you know, I'd like to think that because uh, we're big Harry Carey fans, uh, just like from a lot of the Saturday Night Live stuff. And my wife's not a sports fan, but she can relate to Harry Carey. And I said, well, I'd like to think that Rod and Harry Carey are calling a game up in heaven right now. So, and, then I, I, and I, I hope it's a three-man booth with Jack Buck too. I totally agree. <laughs> and I, then I read the article that you grew up in, you know, and in, in, uh, listened to Harry Carey and Jack Buck, and I about died. And I just loved it. So it's just, uh, uh, I, I hope that in in the future we can welcome you back onto our our uh, show. It's really been a pleasure to have you on, Andy. Well, it's my pleasure, guys. It's it's there's, I work I work with a Jeremy Roberts. Oh. <laughs> um, yes, there is a, a, a Jeremy Roberts is in the the Auburn athletics staff um, and his office is almost right across the right across the hall from mine. So when I saw your name, I immediately think of the guy we call him Jr. here. <laughs> and I'm going to tell I'm going to tell him about the other Jeremy Roberts that Good. I've gotten to know a little bit. Absolutely. Well, I signed my emails, Jr. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. there you are. Yeah. Perfect. Give him a fist bump for me. I appreciate <laughs> it. I will do that. All right. Well, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure, Andy, and uh, thanks so much for being on. We look forward to having you on again soon. My pleasure, guys. Thank I, you, I Andy. I, I, I hope one day our, our paths cross and we can uh, actually shake hands and uh, and get to know each other a little bit better. Thank you. Absolutely. Plan, you you. plan on it. it. It will happen. All right. Take care. Take care, guys. All right. You Bye-bye, too. Andy. Bye-bye. That one was good. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.